Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rumors Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Berseth, and I'm joined by my co-host, Christine Peterson. It's nice to be here with you, Kyle. It's nice to be here with you, too. It's not like we're not with each other together every day. Yeah, we're in our house. (laughs) But... Today's special day because we're recording our podcast. Yeah, it's been a long time. It's been a very long time. Do you want to give updates? Oh, it's better uh, better late than never. Updates for the podcast. Well, I was going to say our last episode came out in April, and at the very beginning of May, uh-huh. we found a kitten in our crawl space. Yes, really disrupted our lives. Destroyed our lives. But the kitty is curled up right next to me right now, and boy, is it delightful. And then we recently had a battle with COVID. Oh, my gosh. That that took us out of the world for a couple weeks. It took me out for three weeks. Yeah. But we're, we're back. We're better. We read a book. We read a book. We actually finished this book before COVID. Okay. <laughs> before COVID sounds like we read it in... <laughs> 2019. Yeah, before our joint 2023 COVID. Before our joint COVID effort, yes. Exactly. So anyway, the book we read is A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. It was published in 1998 and takes place in 1996. Mm. And it is a travelogue that chronicles Bill Bryson and Stephen Katz's walk on the Appalachian Trail. That is correct. I don't know Bill Bryson from Adam. I never heard of Bill Bryson before. Mm -hmm. Turns out he wrote a lot of books. How many are we talking? Um, He has sold 16 million books. You said he wrote a lot of books. It sounds like he sold a lot of books. So Both. I was also doing a little Bill Bryson research. Oh. And the news article I was reading made it out to be that he's pretty famous in England. In England. Right. Yes. He was born in the U.S., but but has been a resident of Britain for most of his life. Yes. He was traveling Europe, Mm -hmm. which is what one of his books is about, his European travels, and he met his soon-to-be wife. Yes. While traveling and just moved to England. Right. Started his new life. His high school friend, Stephen Katz, was his traveling buddy in Europe. So it kind of came full circle. Yeah. So did you give the full title of this book, A Walk in the Woods? Is that not, is there more? Rediscovering America on the Appalachian Trail. Oh, geez. Well, that is very small print down there. (laughs) And you need glasses. All right. You don't need to out me on the podcast, the reading podcast that I can't currently read. (laughs) Well, so this book is about, you know, walking some of the Appalachian Trail. The goal was for them to walk the whole thing, but they walked actually a pretty small portion. So I believe they walked about 40 percent or Bill Bryson Mm. walked about 40 percent. That's what he said. Hmm. That's what he said. I'm suspicious. Well, he went from Georgia to Virginia, northern Virginia, which is Uh pretty far. Right. And he did a little, he did hints of Pennsylvania. Right. A taste of New Jersey, which is all anyone can really take. Or did it even go in New Jersey? Maybe it only went through Jersey a tiny bit. 
I don't know. But let's clarify that after they got to Virginia, they quit the trail. Yes. Went home for a while. And then Bill Bryson decided he was going to drive and hike, which makes no sense. Yeah, I agree. It makes no sense. But overall, overall, 40% of the trail. Okay, okay. And apparently, currently, in today's numbers, 25% of people finish the entire trail. But back then, 10% would finish the trail. Wow. So now it's easy, I guess. 25% is, I don't know, do you think that's a low number? I think that's high. high. You think that's high? Considering how long it is. And... 25% of people that intend to finish the whole thing. Then again, this could be kind of like COVID numbers. It's like self-reporting, and I didn't report that I had it. (laughs) Right. So are you saying some people never report that they're starting? Right. The, the, The numbers. Who's checking these numbers? I think there's probably a registration process. Okay. Like a permit process. That was just my guess. So where would you like to start here? Yeah. So... Similar to some of the other books that we've read, um, there was a lot of talk about uh, food, what they ate on the trail, yeah, uh, about other people, a lot of gear talk, mm-hmm. uh, animals, plants. Yeah. Trail stuff. Trail stuff. It's interesting you said that because I read that Bill Bryson had kind of a tough time writing the book Mm. because he was like, we're just walking the whole time. Not much happens. Yeah. The majority of the time. This, this is a common theme in our, uh, some of the other books that we've read, like tracks, which Mm -hmm. was a long plotting, plotting P L O D D D I N. Yeah. G and scheming (laughs) journey across, uh, Western Australia or to Shake the Sleeping Self, which was a long journey by bike from Oregon to Patagonia. Mm-hmm. And another similarity with that book, he also didn't go the full distance. And his friend dropped. And his friend dropped. It's, I thought the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I think the obvious comparison is wild. Oh, of course. Another one. The Western Appalachian Trail, the PCT. Right, right. I think one of the major differences to me, though... Was that like wild to shake the sleeping self? Those were two people that were seeking major changes in their life or hoping these journeys would kind of mm-hmm. open up uh, ideas in their life or kind of it was like a soul searching journey. Whereas mm-hmm. for Bill Bryson, I think it was just like, I don't know, I just kind of want to do it. I think one of the reasons that he wanted to do it, though, was to get reacquainted with the United States because he had just moved back from the UK and he was like, what is this country that I'm from and that I'm, you know, back in? And so part of it was getting to know the, the United States again and parts of the book delve into the history Mm -hmm. uh, of the trail as well as, the history of the the places, a lot of even, you know, geologic history going back thousands of years, you know, millennia. Yeah. So I think that was part part of his motivation. And then for cats, I think 
his motivation was more about getting out of the mundane and the routine and his drinking problem. Yeah, I think he was the one that was more like hoping for an escape Mm -hmm. of sorts. Yeah. They do make for a funny duo. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think this is a distinction between this book and all the other ones that we've read. This one was at least trying to be funny. I think you can say for a book, for it a was book? funny. Yeah, for the medium uh-huh. that he's working with, I think, you know, pretty humorous, like relatively humorous. And you're a comedian, so... Yeah. So do you think it's hard to be funny in book form? Well, I think it's a longer form. You're not just writing a short story. I think a short story... In terms of writing, I would say a short story is the easiest to be funny because it can be quick, punchy. You're kind of bouncing through the narrative pretty quickly, mm-hmm. less description, whereas this is longer. So I think in that format, you have funny quips, funny quotes in there, Here and funny there. stories. Yeah. And as for the Sprinkling. totality, it comes off as a funny work. Right. I guess, yeah, I could see this as, you know, if if I'm creating, if I'm using a metaphor to uh, a recipe, the humor was a little bit of salt that made it more flavorful, but it's not a spicy dish. And what's the spice in this situation? <laughs> if the salt it's, is humor, what is the spice? It's, it's, really, something really spicy would be like a very funny book. Oh, like laugh out loud. Yeah. See, I wonder. This is if just a sprinkling of humor. Maybe his European books, his European mm. travel logs are funnier only because one, he's a fish out of water. Two, mm-hmm. he was younger. And I think when you're younger, Crazier funnier things stuff happen. happens. Yeah. Yeah, and also maybe by UK standards, he was funny. Oh, yeah, they are so behind on comedy. They're sense they of like humor. puns. They're sense of, yeah, Ugh. yeah. I love pun, puns. The well, lowest personally. form of comedy. Yeah, personally, punsily. Puns, pun, you get it. Yeah, I'll edit that out. <laughs> um, but yeah, UK humor is a bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was going to ask you yeah. on the topic of humor. Did you laugh out loud at any points or were there any parts of the story, the book that you found particularly funny? I mean, I thought it was humor. It was a humorous story when cats tried to hook up with some big fat lady in a podunk town. Yeah. I mean, that was that was humorous. Uh huh. You know, Uh and also, you know, you kind of have this image from the movies, I think, like just movies in general Mm -hmm. of. Like outsiders going into a town, mingling with these uh, laid-back country folk, mm-hmm. and then someone chasing them out of town with a gun and a pickup truck, and that's that was pretty yeah. close to what happened. Right, right, yeah. Uh, the scene where the scene uh, where Katz befriends a large woman in a laundromat. Mm-hmm by helping her remove panties that were stuck, her panties that were stuck in the dryer. Right. Uh, And then trying to hook up with her and her husband finds out and comes looking for him. Classic backwoods country town story. Yeah, yeah. There were, you know, 
there was some banter that I don't know would really fly today. Okay, so what that, that they called her obese or something? Yeah, yeah, like making fun of that. Yes, we just have to pretend everyone looks the same. <laughs> we have we don't see anything. We everybody's beige and uh, the same weight, and everyone looks the same. I forget what some of the other things I, you know. I'm I thought about the that. description of the lady that was hiking with them kind of towards the beginning of the trail. Yeah. I thought she was a funny character. There his descriptions of her were kind of funny. I thought it was humorous that they ditched her. Yeah. Cuz I ah, gosh, I This I was feel an that. annoying character that was um constantly judging or correcting Telling them. Telling them they're idiots, they're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. They're doing everything wrong. And the, I I get that. Right. I would be like, "Oh, jeez, I'm stuck on this trail with this person. You feel like obligated to walk with them because they're around but then it's like uh, i can't wait to lose this person so they ditched her and then later when they crossed paths with another hiker they said hey have you seen this person and the guy goes yeah and she said you two were a bunch of i think she used the word oh okay but a bunch of what word can we say instead of that and she said they were a bunch of weaklings that didn't know what they were doing and were out of shape and kind of disparaged them. And so, which isn't inaccurate. No, it's not. It sounded like yeah, they were in over their head. Yeah. But how how old were they at the this point when they were hiking? I want to say, you know, I get 40s, a little. I think mid forties. Okay. Yeah. 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 So maybe on the maybe on the older side. God, we're no, almost I in our mid forties. Forties is that old to be hiking? Yeah, yeah, me neither. <laughs> Yikes. Anyway, I think that character is a good example of him, like kind of drawing from anything he can to fill in entertaining stories. Mm-hmm. And in the movie version, yeah, which we both watched late after having read it, uh, this character, her name's Mary Ellen. She was played by none other than Kristen Shaw, who I think was a total scene stealer for the movie. Hi. You guys camping here? No, we live here. Uh, (laughs) But you're a Gemini, aren't you? Oh, I'm really good at this. I have a gift. No, I'm not a Gemini. I think you are. You know what your problem is? You're too fat. Yes, but this is a book club podcast. It is, but you got to talk about the movies that are based on the books. Right now? You want to talk about the movie now? I mean... Just a moment. Okay, we did mention that they were mid-40s, played by Robert Redford, (laughs) mid-70s. Yeah, and Nick Nolte. And they were hobbling around in the movie, and it's just like, it's a bad portrayal. Yeah, it did not make for a very good movie. It got pretty universally panned. Pretty common for this type of book. Very difficult to make a good movie on a book like this, I think. Well, just like Lost in the Jungle. Stunk. Stunk. The only good adaptation of a book that we've read has been, what, two? I would say two. two. Uh, Maybe maybe three. Um, Wild. Yeah, correct. I kind of liked Tracks. No, Stinkfest. 
And I kind of liked Contiki. I don't remember Contiki, but I was going to say Everest. There oh, was I a movie seen that. based off of Into Thin Air. Oh, why didn't you tell that me? That came out in 2015. I totally that had that. a huge budget. I got to go back. Josh Brolin was in it. It was, de- you know, it was so much better than a lot of these other ones because it was exciting. Oh, okay. Stuff happened. Well, I got to watch that. I never saw it. Right. Well, there you go. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, skip the movie is what I would recommend to our yeah, listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any Robert Redford movie you can skip. Yeah, I, I did feel like in both the book and the movie uh there were attempts to up the ante kind mm-hmm. of heighten the, the stakes the stakes yeah one of which at the beginning was bill bryson's rant and fear of bears on the trail oh yeah i mean it was a lot of bear stuff you're talking about in the book in the book i do think it was interesting him kind of covering the history of humans with bears mm-hmm and all the things that haven't really happened. Like, right. There's been no murderous bears out there, really. Except for Cocaine Bear. Cocaine Bear, yeah. Well, also a terrible movie. movie. <laughs> anyway, yeah, he did seem to have an irrational fear, fear of, of getting attacked by a bear. Yeah, and a bear does show up in the movie, but not in the book. In the book, there was one night where they heard louder rummaging outside of the tent he got very scared again a little humorous when he the only tool he had to defend himself was like a very small pocket knife and he had he asked his friend cats like what do you have and cats had nail clippers Mm, yeah kind of funny yeah um but you know what it reminded me of that story when we were camping Mm -hmm. and Almost got mauled to death by a mountain lion. Yes, the mountain, the fear of mountain lions when we were camping in Zion. I didn't have a fear of mountain lions before I saw the mountain lion. <laughs> I had a fear of mountain lions because they they scare you into putting all your food in a canister, right? You know, so the mountain lions and the bears can't smell it, and they don't get. So we're doing that. But this was in Zion National Park yep. in the backcountry. We hiked way in. Backcountry. Hiked way into this uh, campsite without running water or, um, you know. Safety. With toilets or anything. Yeah. Um, and. We made lentil soup for dinner. <laughs> you remember what it, it was? It was so salty. We couldn't finish it. Probably didn't use enough water. So I chucked it into the weeds. Uh huh. And then we heard the rustling. And then we heard a rustling, and you were like, "Kyle, go look, go check it out." (laughs) (laughs) And you went to go check it out, and you saw the eyes. I saw two beady eyes crouched crouched down, down. like it was ready to pounce. Yes, and you said, "That's a mountain lion." I said, "Get big." I said, "It's a mountain." I said, "I'm pretty sure it's a mountain lion," and you said. Throw a rock at it. But don't bend down. <laughs> yeah, but it looks scary. So I had one arm up in the air and I bent down to pick up a rock and I threw it directly at it. Like I could have sworn it hit this thing and it didn't budge <laughs> at all. Un- unperturbed. Yeah, it was like I need some human flesh to go with this lentil soup. Turns out it was. Well, 
after I threw a couple more rocks, it raised its head up to its normal level, and it was a deer. <laughs> <laughs> Licking away at the salt. Which is cute. And, you know, just a good general lesson of not throwing out your food anywhere close to your campsite, I guess. Gosh, you know how to make a story fun. <laughs> you know, there's a lesson to be learned. to be learned Pack it here. out, pack it in. Yeah. Have you done any of the Appalachian Trail yourself? I have. <gasps> you have? Yeah, where? I've done some in Shenandoah National Park where also I saw tons of black bears. Oh, wow. I saw a mama bear with three cl- cubs. Very adorable. I got way too close. When was this? High school. Wow. Yeah. With your grandparents? No. Oh, it was with your ex-girlfriend, huh? <laughs> I know that face. Lady. I know that face. Nope. Awkward silence. But the, I was there with my grandparents okay. and saw well, some bears fine. then as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, we can skip over the rest of the girlfriend story, ex-girlfriend story. So <laughs> anyway, I've hiked some of the AT quite a bit in Shenandoah National Park, I feel like. And then also uh, Mount Greylock. Oh, we I did that with you and Aunt Jane. Oh, that was with you. Yeah. <sighs> okay, that is the only part of the Appalachian Trail that I've seen. And Ben Hunt. You didn't just and ben look on. at it. You hiked yeah, it, babe. Yeah, I hiked it. And apparently Mount Greylock is one of the higher points in the trail. Right, I believe so. And he also said in an interview that he, if he had to hike another, <laughs> re-hike a section, it would be the Berkshires. Mm. Yeah, so I guess beautiful w- part. While we're talking about this and hiking certain sections, we have also hiked some of the PCT. And I'm curious, you know, with Wild right. and a walk in the woods, PCT versus mm-hmm. AT, what are you thinking? Oh, I'm totally team PCT. Yeah, me too. Uh, no question. I just have a feeling the scenery is way better. Way better. Way more epic. Although I think maybe the differentiations in weather probably makes it a little uh, tougher because you got desert, then you got yeah. like high mountains, snow. You still have like rainy areas once you get to Oregon. Mm-hmm. I do think the the um, the huts or the kind of like the three sided shelters shelters yeah. along the Appalachian Trail sound interesting and make for kind of an interesting setup. Mm-hmm. I feel like the AT is probably shadier. You mean this was called covered. a walk in the woods, right? More woodsy. More woodsy, but also probably more humid, too. Yeah. Well, and more buggy. And when I think of the East Coast versus the West Coast, mm-hmm. I think of the East Coast as being more developed, more urban. So, Oh, interesting. Because when I think of the AT specifically, I think of a lot of green rolling tree-covered hills. Well, I just don't have that reference point. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I grew up on the West Coast. And on the East Coast, I only lived in cities, mm-hmm. rarely got out. Yeah. So it probably would be good for me to see more of that part of the country. And I don't know. I think it would be interesting. Yeah. Eye opening. Okay. Yeah. But weather was something they had to contend with yeah, as they well. St- they started with snow. They had snow in, was it Georgia? Georgia. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, I didn't even know that it snowed in Georgia. Well, at one point, he said, Rain spoils everything. There is no pleasure in walking in waterproofs. There is something deeply dispiriting about the stiff rustle of nylon and the endless, curiously amplified patter of rain on synthetic material. Oh, this sounds like something you identify with. No, I strongly disagree. You Wait, oh, you find comfort in the pitter-patter of rain on nylon? Yes! Oh. Like when you're wearing a waterproof thing, you put the hood up and then you hear the little tick, 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 tick of the raindrops on it. I Gosh, love that. These are the words of someone from the Pacific Northwest. I, love that. I strongly disagreed about that. Ugh. But you're so anti like uh, fake textiles. Except for when it comes to waterproof. Oh, okay. But <laughs> water is the exception. Yeah. Okay. Another part of the book that reminded me of some of another book that we read Mm -hmm. is uh, there was a lot of talk about the park service and conservation. Mm. And it reminded me of Edward Abbey. Of course. uh, And the book desert solitaire. Yeah. uh, Anything specific about it? Yeah. I mean, he wrote our historic impulse to tame and exploit the wilderness. America's attitude to nature is from all sides. Very strange. In America, alas, beauty has become something you drive to, and nature an either-or proposition. Either you ruthlessly subjugate it, or you deify it. Treat it as something holy and remote, a thing apart. And Mm. I feel like that was a, a, a similar theme in Desert Solitaire, too, where you think of nature or wilderness as... Uh, not part of your everyday life, but something that you take a trip to. It's a destination. Right. Rather than, I think now there's a movement and maybe this movement has existed for many years. It just kind of comes and goes, but to have more green spaces, uh, natural spaces in urban areas that are, you know, walking distance from everyone's homes. Mm. And it can be a small park, you know, different parklets, but you got to have something yeah. that is part of your daily life and not just something that only people with a lot of free time and uh, resources can get to and drive away to. The first parks in the U.S. were cemeteries. People would go hang out, have a picnic next to a gravestone. Well, you know, there are still cemeteries here. There are cemeteries in L.A. that are more... Park-ish. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. Anyway, that's why they made Central Park. Yeah. People needed somewhere to get away from the horse dung and needed some open space from those tenement homes. P.U. Yeah. (laughs) Telling me. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is just an aside, but um, there's a brief mention in this book of Grandma Gatewood. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember him (laughs) mentioning Grandma Gatewood hiking the AT and saying if she can do it, so this old lady can do it. And I was thinking, don't want to read that book. Well, I read that book. There was a book about Grandma Gatewood, uh, and it's it's excellent. I I really enjoyed reading that book. It's very inspirational. But I thought he, what he's, he was just very dismissive of Grandma Gatewood mm-hmm. and was like, she ne- basically insinuating that she never should have been out on the AT uh, because she was not prepared. And 
um, it's reckless or dangerous to do that. And I just he thought, said that about her. Yes, and I thought I, it was I, more. I thought he was more making the point of like, it's not that big a deal. Well, clearly that's not true. I mean, he couldn't finish it. She finished it several times. No, I don't mean it's the not that thing. big a deal to finish. I mean it's not that big a deal to be underprepared. But maybe I mm. uh, maybe I don't remember well, that. Well, he was very dismissive of her, and I thought it was very rude. Yeah, I took offense on her behalf. On her behalf, and, and grandmas everywhere. And the other book um, is called Grandma Gatewood's Walk: The Inspiring Story of the Woman Who Saved the Appalachian Trail. It's by Ben Montgomery. How'd she save it? Because she brought more attention to it. Oh, it was in the earlier days. Yeah. Okay. Huh. How well? How important do you think it is to have a through trail that goes from one end of the country to the other? That's a good question. I think in both cases, the PCT, the AT, even is it the Continental Divide Trail? Oh, I don't know if there's a trail. There's, there's definitely other. a Continental Divide. Oh, Been there too. Trail. Um, they have. Been, those efforts have been helpful for conservation. However, I think there was perhaps some instances where there was, you know, taking of land or kind of more eminent domain. Shenandoah National that, Park, they uh, kicked all these rednecks out of their hollers. And he talked about that too, is, and, and about some places that um the trail had previous would have gone through like little farmlets um and he said he would have preferred to hike through that than the kind of not manufactured but kind of created preserved spaces well i mean you get the nice smell of fresh baked apple pie while you're going past a, yeah. a farmhouse but also which is i think more european kind of more european style and i was just gonna was say oh. in england they have something called the right to roam right no the correct. right to roam. correct and where you can just roam right i mean correct <laughs> no the right to roam <laughs> jeez and well, we don't have that in the United States, of course. No, We're all you, about private property. That's when people will no take their shotgun out and go get off my land. Do you think it's important to have these long through trails? I don't think it's important, but I think it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I think it's neat that people can have the opportunity to have a big adventure, or a big journey, and have it relatively unimpeded by an urban area or cars or, you know, you can just essentially escape. Right. And there were, there were several times where they did escape on purpose mm -hmm. because they needed that break. And I totally get that. Um, and I don't fault them for that at all, but it shows you that that they weren't that far from a lot of no, you're never development cities and towns. So there's always like that safety net um, in right. this. I, I and I think the PCT is a little bit less of that, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I get that sense with the PCT, but I don't. I would not say. Hmm. 
I guess I don't feel like it's important, but I do think it's cool that it exists, and I think it's cool that it's maintained. Right. That you don't have to just bushwhack a trail. Oh, yeah, and that makes it a lot easier. It sure does. (laughs) Yeah, he did say, I liked this quote about something that he thought the Appalachian Trail was good for. He said, if there is anything that AT teaches, it is low-level ecstasy, something we could all do with more of in our lives. And he said that um, after he had ran out of things to read on the trail, ran out of books, and he came across a, I think, you know, a popular paperback. Mm -hmm. And it was like, aha, like, oh, you know, this little thing. It's like you get so excited and grateful over over the little things in life. Mm, Yeah, maybe you appreciate a beach read. Right. Or or you appreciate, you know, some of that trail magic, the you know, little Debbie. What? (laughs) Oh, oh, eating a little little Debbie. Yeah, eating a little Debbie or or a slim jim or whatever they were eating. Yeah, okay, yeah. He also said, and I liked this, um, because I think this would be kind of a nice thing to have in my life. Uh, he said, everything was known and obvious. It was wonderful, really. And that was in reference to they knew what they were going to do the next tomorrow what and the, the next task day. at hand right. was every day. It was just putting one foot in front of the other and setting up camp, going to sleep, picking everything back up and doing it all over again. I think we've run across that in a lot of the other books, yeah. too. And I think that would be a great experience to have is to have a break from making decisions Mm -hmm. from thinking from having to make choices where you just you know you don't have to get up and think what am I going to do today because it's already decided for you Hmm. interesting yeah it's interesting that you feel that you wake up and say what am I going to do today well that I, I feel in modern life yeah we're constantly bombarded with choices. Maybe it's more not what am I going to do today, but I have so much to do today. And yeah, and what am I, I mean, even things like what am I going to wear? Uh, that's what I loved about going to a Catholic school in high school. Yeah, if you have a I uniform. Three choices. If you have a uniform, it just takes off, takes away that the mental energy because that's what decision making is. It takes up your your mental energy. Yeah, you would make a good communist. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a future podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if anyone has some good communist okay, travel okay, literature. Okay, all right, all right. There's <laughs> never been a good communist book written <laughs> about travel and hiking. No. I'm interested in Kerala. They can't hike. Otherwise, they'd all have to hike. <laughs> Is there leisure in communist societies? I don't societies? know. Probably not. They only, everything seems gray and made of concrete. <sighs> okay, we got to cut this. There's no trails either or trees. Get on McCarthy's list. Anyway, getting back to the car thing and mm. getting back to civilization, when he picked the trail back up, Mm-hmm. And I believe he started in either Maryland or Pennsylvania. 
And he started with a car. Yeah. And right before that, he was talking, he was complaining. And I found this humorous. And I don't know if he did this on purpose. Like he was aware of the juxtaposition of it. Mm -hmm. But he was complaining about like people with their GPS and their technology and so much technology on the trail. And then he starts the next chapter out with... Pennsylvania, I decided I was going to drive to the trail, hike it, hike back to the car, then drive to the next Uh section. I'm like, this is the most technology-driven form of hiking the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, he really did not like all the gearheads and the people with all the fancy gadgetry, and yet to use a car? (laughs) Yeah, that's the fanciest gadgetry. Right. And the funny thing is... You're, in, you don't have to whisper. He's I'm, not well, here. Okay. Well, Bill is still alive. In the movie... Yeah. Uh, in the movie... Wow. It's Cats who try who goes and says, let's take a car. Let's rent a car and drive the trail. And Bill says, we're not doing that. We're not quitting. Well, in real life, it was Bill. Well, Cats did quit. Cats quit too. Yeah. But it was Bill. Who had the bright idea of driving and hiking the PCT? I kind of get why, though. You know, as slow as Cats was, it's fun having a buddy. And then Mm. when you have set out to do this thing and you had a buddy and your buddy quits on you, and then you're like, well, inside I still want to do this, but gosh... I want my buddy, our a buddy. Right. It's a lot tougher. Yeah. And you so want then a partner. You're, you're trying to find easier ways to achieve your goal still. Right. While maybe not being as lonely or just kind of doing it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's tough. Such a common challenge. This happened to my brother, too, who set out to hike the PCT from basically Oregon to Canada. Mm hmm. And within the first week, his friend quit. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. It makes you want to quit. Right. And eventually my brother did quit. Yeah. It's tough. It, yeah. But if you don't try, you know, you never know. But, okay, cats reemerged. He did. In Maine. Or yeah. Vermont. Yeah. But I, and I think they were deciding to hike the best parts. They right. sk- he skipped all of Pennsylvania. Poor Pennsylvania. Uh, no, he didn't. He did a little of Pennsylvania. He no. got yelled at. He got yelled at by someone in Pennsylvania. I'm pretty sure it says Because he, he went to go look at a coal mine or something. <sighs> he went to Centralia, I believe, or at least he talked about Centralia, Pennsylvania, which is a town that's been on fire since the that's 1960s. True. He dabbled and he okay. complained about the maps in Pennsylvania. Oh, the Because then he got to New York and he was like, whoa, the New York maps are amazing. That's, I think unless you actually um, have done something like this, it's hard to appreciate the obsession with maps. Mm-hmm. But this also comes up in our books from uh, running the Amazon to wild to... Uh, you know, basically any oh, tracks, there's there's this kind of obsession with maps. Travels with Charlie, it came up too. Mm. And it's, 
I think it's because it ends up being a bit of a, a lifeline for you. It's how you get around. Right. Right. Yeah. And when you have so few kind of belongings, the map, the maps are the 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 maps are it. Are you good at reading maps? I used to be good at reading maps and I also used to be good with navigation with a compass. Oh, okay. Manual. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very rusty. Oh, me? I'm pretty good at reading maps. I used to walk around in the woods as an arborist, and I'd oh. have to do it based on topography on the... Based on topography. On the plan I had and little streams or whatever other hints I was getting. I didn't have yeah. maps. I had big plots that were printed out oh. that survey crews had... I don't know. Maybe they did it from GIS or something. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I had to go off of. I am good with all trails. The app. Well, your phone tells you when you're off trails. So. Yeah, it alerts you. It's a great. It's a great app. Okay. And whenever we go on hikes, I'm mm-hmm. the one who's responsible for navigation. That's because I go by intuition. <laughs> if I feel off, it kicks in, and I go, "This feels off." Um. So, Kyle, I have some bad news. Yeah, I know what the bad news is. You do? Yeah, he died. Who? Cats. Oh, you know. I was going to spring this on you. Real name, Matt Angerer. And he yes. died two months ago. Yes, while we were reading the book. Uh, I know. Did you also come across this? There was a uh, art, an article in the Des Moines Register published in September 2015. Of course. By Mike Killen. Oh, wow. We did the same. By who? Independent research. Mike Killen. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's because the movie was coming out. Because the movie was coming out. And he wrote this article on the real life of Bill Bryson's Stephen Katz. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it was interesting after this hike in, uh, along the Appalachian Trail, Katz ended up getting married to a woman named Mary who saved him from his 40-year alcohol problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also kind of opined on the the accuracy of the book. He said that um, just when he was getting the hang of the hiking thing, Bryson wanted to quit. Mm, mm-hmm. Finger pointing. Mm-hmm. And he also said Bryson was puffing on a pipe the whole time and that he could smell the smoke as he lagged in the distance. And that was not in the book or the movie. And then he was puffing on a pipe. I mean, that is the most British thing. The most British. I People that smoke pipes, first of all, just stop listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Grow up. <laughs> um, yeah, so he was survived by uh, his wife, his stepdaughter, and four grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. And you left out the part of the obituary. Oh, that it said he had a prosthetic leg. Why? Why are you so excited about that? Uh, no, that's, oh, I just thought it I mean, was interesting because walking. He had a blood clot, but yeah, his right leg was amputated. That wasn't in the obituary. Oh, it not, didn't say no. he was survived by his four grandchildren. And by the way, <laughs> he had a prosthetic leg. I mean, sorry. By the way, he had a prosthetic leg. <laughs> no. <laughs> It described him uh-huh. as a brilliant storyteller and always yes. the funniest person in the room. 
It did. So I thought that, you know, that was kind of out of the characters in the book. He was like the character. He was like, this guy's a little wacky. And Bill Bryson was more of the straight man. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But the amputated leg, I thought that was interesting because, I mean, he definitely, you know, you can absolutely still hike with an with a prosthetic leg of course but uh, i imagine it might be a little bit more challenging and to to have done that before that happened is just kind of interesting yeah maybe he appreciated it more then. yeah oh wow we found I, I thought i was going to surprise you with that what state sounded like oh i gotta hike this state hmm to you I think the part that sounded the most interesting was the Smoky Mountains. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. The Berkshires and maybe Maine. Oh, I have hiked in Maine. The 100-mile woods where that broke them? I don't think I was on the AT at all. But Maine's, that's, uh, I mean, that's rural. Right. That's like Canada at that point. Right. Uh, And New Hampshire... Super rural. But I've never been to the Smokies, getting back to the Smokies. And I think it's the most popular national park. I think so, but I think that's also because of proximity to major urban centers. Okay, well, still popular. Still popular. I would, yeah, I would like to do uh, portions of the AT. Okay. We're not at that point in the podcast, but... Let's get there. Would you do this... Hike? Would you hike the AT? No. Not the whole thing? No. No, you're out. I'm not interested. Okay. You know that I'm interested in the PCT. Yeah. Because I'm a West Coast gal. But I would be interested in hiking portions, more portions of the AT. Yeah, I would hike the PCT. I'd run the AT. (laughs) So you're interested in uh, doing the entire Appalachian Trail? Running it, yeah. Wow. You can say anything on a podcast. Um, yeah. No, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd have that in me. If I had to do a long, I, I'd i have to re-listen to the wild episode and even say if I'd do the PCT. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think you were into it. I think you were maybe interested in doing it in sections. Yeah. I. You know, I think uh, the Appalachian Trail seen like the be- some of the best parts mm-hmm. in Shenandoah already. Mm-hmm. And I've been to Shenandoah, I don't know, probably like four times mm-hmm. with multiple people. And I, you know. I've been to Shenandoah too. Great. With multiple people. Wow. <laughs> no, I, just to go tubing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tubing, you know. I, I didn't go tubing. So, Kyle. Yeah. Uh, what do you give this? What rating do you give this book? I don't even remember what our rating scale is out of. It's out of what? It five. Top is 5.5. But then I think we, did we switch to 10? No, something? I don't think we ever switched to 10. So okay. it's out of five. Yeah, it's out of five. Um, I don't know. You know, these, we've been pretty bad at reading these books. Yeah, and pretty I think. Bad. I think I enjoy these books more when I read them faster. Likewise. And this is this slow plot of mm-hmm. reading about a slow plot 
is making it harder to enjoy the book. So yeah. I think we got to step it up Power a little bit. Through. So I'm going to go. I didn't dislike this book. I found this book perfectly pleasant. I'll say four. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. Did you find him a little smug, though? No, I didn't find him smug. I know what you mean. Like he was a maybe attitude, judgy, a little, a little like he was making fun of people, and I didn't love that. Yeah, attitude. but I think he again he was being a little humorous, and I think also drawing from like, let's say he saw on the trail four hundred people. Mm-hmm. The majority of them are just like, hey, hey. Mm-hmm. walking by whatever or have a nice conversation where are you go how far are you guys going today oh we're going 10 miles how far are you going oh we're going 12 miles all right well i'll see you i think that's the majority of it so when there's a character that stands out like mary ellen, ellen. or like the guy at the place that was like all about the gear mm-hmm. which i could see yeah. being annoying yeah i could see that and it's annoying. like yeah, this these are the people I got to write about. I, I and I will say in those types of interactions in the book, it reminded me of John Steinbeck's Travel with Travels with Charlie because like Steinbeck, Bryson always had a quip, like mm-hmm. this this witty, quippy uh response to things that I question whether he had that in the moment or more retroactively. You always retroactively. Know the right, you know, the perfect thing to say yeah for sure retroactively so a little bit of artistic license there i think i think he did take artistic license and admitted to it yeah because like i said he had to spice it up the narrative a little bit Mm -hmm. but um yeah like when we went to channel islands there was that dude there that had like tactical gear on Uh and i remember thinking what's this for there's a, there's Come on, a, dude. Are you going to be repelling? There's a park ranger on this island yeah. with a house. Yeah. What's going to happen? But he was just prepared. Well, yeah. And he I, was a gear guy. Did I bring my Garmin in reach? Yes. Because I was just testing it out, you know? Okay. Yeah. So, and if I was writing a book, I'd talk about how paranoid you are about getting lost on an island that has a house on it with a park ranger and a phone. But if... If some sort of emergency strikes, yep, I would I would be prepared, and I could save everyone on that island. And I would be writing about how <laughs> she's bragging about saving everyone on that island, but screamed when she saw a snake or whatever. Anyway, so what would you give this book? I would give this book a three and a half. Okay, pretty low. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of mine are low. I, I, I'm not, this isn't, this isn't Airbnb ratings. Oh, where, I treat it like Airbnb ratings. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. So for everyone out there who may not know, especially our future guests, if you give a four rating on your host and the property that you stay at, that's like a one. It's like a. It might as well be it's a, one a one star. It's to, it tanks them. So don't do that to us, please. Just tell us what your issues are. Just we'll give us resolve. a five, and then in the in the side comments, yeah. say we're all. Hey, I was actually like a four point five. <laughs> 
because of X, Y, Z. But I get it. Yeah. So, but for this, I'm thinking three is actually average. And for me, this was slightly above average. Wait, so you gave it a what? Three and a half. Oh, you're doing half ratings now. Yeah, as of the last episode. Oh, okay. I think I gave the last one four and a half. My, my, my. I actually, in my head, I thought 3.93, but I (laughs) went ahead and made it a four. So slightly less than a four. I did, but it, it, mentally, it kind of makes me feel bad because I'm like, I don't know. I didn't, there wasn't anything I found like bad about this book, really. It was a decent no, read. Just a little, a little slow. I think that was on us. We took a long time to read it. That's fair. Yeah. I think if we had just hunkered down, right, put our minds to it. Right, but sometimes there are those books where you can't, you just can't put it down, and isn't that saying something for that? Those book? books are Netflix with the captions on. <laughs> those are the books that you well, can't put I down. Well, I have to say, for the movie version of A Walk in the Woods, that also took me a couple weeks to finish because I kept on falling asleep. Yeah, the movie stunk. You can give every Robert Redford movie a two. Oh. So. You can. I like the old that man one where and the he, gun. I liked that movie where he maybe drowned. Okay. All right. This isn't a Robert Redford podcast. <laughs> what I was going to ask, though. So what's our next book, Christine? I am suggesting either a survival story or a flying story. Mm, I think we should do a flying story because you want to get your pilot's license. I do. I do. So there are two flying stories in our cabin library. I think we should pick the shorter of the two. West with the Night, a 1942 memoir by Beryl Markham, chronicling her experiences growing up in Kenya in the early 1900s, leading to celebrated careers as a racehorse trainer and bush pilot there. Yes, I think we should read that one. We've never been to Africa on the podcast. It is considered a classic of outdoor literature. How do you spell barrel? B-E-R-Y-L. Oh, okay. Ernest Hemingway was deeply impressed with Markham's writing, saying, she has written so well and marvelously well that I was completely ashamed of myself as a writer. I felt that I was simply a carpenter with words, picking up whatever was furnished on the job and nailing them together and sometimes making an okay pig pen. But she can write rings around all of us who consider ourselves as writers. It really is a bloody wonderful book. I got to tell you, that's a great quote from Hemingway and very well written. (laughs) Like, ah, pretty well written while he's talking about being a bad writer. He's really knocked it out of the park with that quote. Yeah. Well, okay. So here we are. We're reading West with the Night. That's very exciting. A flying story from Kenya. Yeah. Fun. Great. Okay. I'm going to speed through this. You watch out. Me too. And all of our listeners also better speed through this because we're going to be popping out another episode before you know it. Wow. This is exciting. I just got to get my hands on this book. Wow. This just became a book commercial. We're, we're single-handedly going to bring back this 1942 okay, memoir. Let's land this plane. <laughs> okay, and we'll see if there's a movie. Oh, my gosh. I hope there's a movie. All right. Well, we'll talk about it on the pod. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. <laughs>